Hello and welcome to Connected, a podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good in our world. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hello, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us today is Simon Sadie. How are you doing, Simon? Hi, ASD. Hi, Sue. Oh, great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we've been waiting. We're looking forward to this for a while, actually. We've it, probably been trying to get you for a while. You're a busy man. Busy, busy man. It does seem to have been a long time coming together, so I apologise for that. Yeah, but it's great to do it. Yeah, I'm very excited to speak to you, Simon. You are the CEO of Group MW, the WPP team for Mars, having and also client president for Coca-Cola, I believe. And you have previously worked for Aegis as president of Global Client Management, MPG as MP of Strategy, and the BBC of as Head of Advertising for the Beeb and BBC Online. He is also a trained three principles practitioner, which focuses on helping people understand how the power of their own thinking frames their ability to achieve their potential. So Simon, what are the biggest challenges you face um, as the person who's at the helm of a big cross-agency group on, on, a, on a big client like Mars? Well, first of all, I think um, I'd say that um, it's a privilege to be a WPP lead um, for working with a client like Mars. Um, I think, uh, I feel it's especially because I don't think there have been, at least it's changing quite quickly now, but historically there weren't a lot of media leaders that became WPP leaders. And I think, I may have been, I certainly was one of the first to mm. do that. And it came about because the way in which our relationship with Mars evolved um, um, with with Mediacom and evolved into a WPP relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is fantastic. I think the big challenge in the role, the biggest challenge is, is, is listening, you know, mm. listening closely to what your client is telling you and understanding the needs that they have that, are, that come from so many different parts of their business all coming mm-hmm. at you at once and working out how best to um, build something that responds to those needs. It, it, on any given day, there's just there are so many different voices. Uh, it's yeah. both wonderful, but also chaotic. <laughs> uh, as, as, one, as one of our podcast regu- regulars, Karen Blackett says, uh, yeah. two ears, one mouth, use them in those proportions. <laughs> Maybe you need to even have four ears, I don't know, for a global. I think it's great advice. I think um, uh, I I did did the Maestro Fusion training course last week with WPP, which was outstanding. Oh, wow. And uh, one of the coaches on that course uh, uh, was talked about being able to spot when open doors and walking through them and not missing them as you go by, which was one of my faults. <laughs> You've had loads of really interesting roles. So have you planned out your career moves or have, have they happened? Does anybody plan their career out? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, some people do. Some yeah, people we've had people really, on the podcast yeah. who go, it's this by the time I'm 25, it's this by the time I'm 30. I, I always had the feeling that my career planned me to some extent. Um, or that more to the point, I I responded to what inspired me at the time. You know, I, I've always felt that I'm a person that never had regrets. So I always feel... Not even turning down a job with me, Simon, very early in your career. <laughs> I love that that's come up. <laughs> not, yeah. not that I'm still holding on to that, right? <laughs> um, 
No, Sue, because it all turned out well in the end, right? And so I, I look at it and say that maybe it was exactly the right thing to do because I ended up inside the Mediacom family eventually. And that was always destined to happen as Nick. <laughs> yeah. And it just had to wait for the right moment to happen. Um, no, I, I, I definitely don't do regrets because I always feel that I made what felt like the very best decision I could at the time. And even if it turn, didn't turn out well, I look back on it and say, well, um, there were there were good learnings from that. I think to the extent that I did plan things, you, you mentioned me going to the BBC's head of advertising, BBC Online. You know, I, I wanted, I was really keen to get involved in the digital side of the industry early on. And so I, I went and hunted for opportunities to do that. And, you know, in 1997, mm. There weren't tons of them, actually, um, because hard though it might be to imagine, you know, the world with the world still didn't have broadband then. Everything was still being done on dial-up. There were barely any websites. Sending emails was a novelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but you were way ahead of your time, as was the BBC. Actually, it should be said at the time. I was and it was. Mm. And in in some respects, perhaps you could say that's a mistake because, you know, Facebook was clearly still in someone's imagination. If even that at that point, Google was only just really beginning to. 98, I think they started. Yeah. So, um, you know, you could argue that in my enthusiasm, I I went for it way too early Um, and maybe you know, that that in itself wasn't a good thing. Um, but it was an amazing, amazing thing to be part of. So I'd say to the extent that I planned things, planning to get involved in digital things mm. was, was one of the things that I did and that and that was good for me. Um, I You didn't mention um, the, the period that I had where I ran Baby Tiger, my own partnership, and I, and I did plan for that. And that was also wonderful for a period of time. So what that, was that? These were the two things that I planned. Tell us about Baby Tiger. Baby Tiger was was um, a, a uh, an innovation uh, and strategy consultancy I set up with um, Rupert Millington when when I left. Oh, Rupert. Yeah. I remember Rupert. Lovely Rupert when I left um, Aegis as it then was Dentsu as it is now, and. Um, Rupert was um, our our trainer from What If, Andrew. Yeah. So he he basically trained MediaCom in creativity. Um, yeah, made um, which which made a big change to us actually. The shout out to Rupert if he's listening. Uh, lovely Rupert, and he and I partnered in creating Baby Tiger. Baby Tiger came about because we did um, we actually at uh, we did work with Orange, um, and. Um, Orange, Orange, the the marketing director of Orange um, asked us at the time to to explain why they didn't seem to be able to be more innovative, something lots of clients worry about. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we buying more innovative thinking from our agencies? Why aren't we doing things that are more innovative? And, um, uh, And he said, you know, I want you to come to me with with better ideas and what we actually went back and explained to him was that there are lots of ideas that are being brought to Orange by the agency teams but they ha- they had a particular structure at the time 
which meant that those ideas had to go through lots and lots of people in the stage gates. And any one of those people could kill the idea dead. Is this, is this sounding familiar to anybody out there? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, the reason he's not getting innovation is because uh, they don't foster, you know, they don't, they don't foster the ideas. They don't give life to them. So they they, they, um, they let everybody in their business have a gun, basically. And people turn up with these lovely little tiger cubs, you know, little beautiful but quite vulnerable baby tigers. And um, and they never give them a chance to see whether they might grow into the, you know, the, the kings uh, that they could be uh, because people shoot them dead. And and so that's why we that's that was something else that I planned. We wanted together to try and set so up. So you were the tiger king of your day. <laughs> I think I was quite a chubby one but yeah <laughs> um you, you mentioned your days of as head of advertising at the bbc back in back back when online was was in its kind of incipient stages are there things that you learned from those days that you think are still relevant today well that's a great question um the first thing is that um that it comes to mind now is um not to be the way in which you think that what you know about how the world is, is developing around you uh, is much less certain than you imagine that the whatever it is that's going to dominate in the future is probably not even you're, you're probably not aware of it yet it's not even imagined and that everybody who um all all the all the the the, the profits that tell you what is and what works mostly don't have a clue what they're talking about. And, and that's something I really learned the hard way at BBC Online because I went into a world where this is hard to imagine now, but we set up a digital content business. It had the power of the BBC behind it and nobody wanted to talk to us. You could not get you could not get a marketing director to open his door, his or probably his in those days, but his or her door to, to you. You it was a struggle to get agencies to talk to you about the content you offered. And, and most of them didn't have anybody doing digital. Mm. And a lot of them basically said, what do we want to be doing this for? What, what, what do we want to advertise on this for? Why should we invest in this? And it and it's hilarious to think about it now when everybody's telling you, you know, that 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 everything is digital, well, rightly, and that's how we should shift. And and um, that in those days, a lot of people, some of whom probably the same people, were telling you that, you know, they they didn't have the time to even mm. talk to you. So that was one of the things I learned was to sort of trust trust in my own instincts and not necessarily in the profits but also to be brave enough to call that um uh yeah and i think i think that was that's something i've always carried with me since yeah yeah really interesting so how did becoming a three principles practitioner help you change the way that you frame your thinking and then what impact did that have on you it was massive it completely changed my my outlook on my career. Um, I, um, when I left Aegis, um, 
I left because uh, I um, I had a perspective on what it meant to be working within the company at that time, and I and and I and I didn't I didn't want to be part of that. I wanted to do something different. Uh, actually, it was it was quite specific to the bit of the company that I was in, and, and at the time I I didn't get on with my boss. This is something that happens to a lot of people, right? I kind of fell out with my boss, and I left thinking under the impression that that basically he'd made my life difficult. And what I learned, I, I felt I needed to go and get some coaching and just understanding, you know, that how that had impacted me. And actually what I learned was that all of my thinking around what happened to me at Aegis at the time, was it was a product of my own thinking. Or to put this in a simpler way, um, how is it possible that I might not get on with my boss, but lots of other people did, right? And what I learned, that, which just was um, a radical insight for me, was that the whole thing is a, your your experience of life. Everything you experience of life is a product of your own thinking. In fact, life itself is is largely an illusion created by your own thinking of it. So even in the conversation we're all having right now, I'm having one experience of this conversation mm. and you guys are having your own personal experiences of it, but we're all engaged in the same conversation. So it's probably going slightly differently for all of us. Mm. Um, well, the way I try and describe it to people when I'm coaching them is um, you can put two people on a roller coaster and so they'll go through exactly the same roller coaster experience and then one will get off and say that was wonderful i'd like to do it again and the other will get off and say i never want to go near that mm -hmm. and that that's 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 what state of mind does to you it's realizing that your your experience of life completely defines how you how you uh, relate to everything that's around you you know the way in which your your mind works to it and why does that matter is because you know, your ability to achieve your potential is totally governed by the extent to which you understand is the way you look at the world, right? And so some days you will look at the world through a lens which says, um, the world's terrible, I'm not very good, this is, this is, a, this is a struggle. And, and on those days, things will go badly. And on other days, you'll think, I'm invincible, I can do anything. And probably on those days, things will go well. So it completely changed the way I look at it. And I realized how much I had to take responsibility, but also how much I had to be honest mm -hmm. about my own state of mind with people around me, which I don't think I ever was. So, you know, except that sometimes, you know, I don't do things as well as I could because I'm not in the greatest state of mind and, mm -hmm. and be and be good to myself about that and others. It's the oldest. So it was, it was on the, um, of course, for historians out there, it was at the um, oracle at Delphi where the ancient Greeks were the words "Know thyself," <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's at the root of so much, isn't it? Because if you understand what's going on, then you've got a better chance of influencing what's going on. Yeah, I think it it means it, it enables you to take much more responsibility for yeah. what happens Ownership, to you in your yeah. life, right? Ownership, exactly. Because you become aware that in a situation, 
where you're saying, um, so you say, my, my client is is making me stressed, right? Well, no, um, no. Um, we make ourselves, we cause stress to ourselves. Mm-hmm. That, 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 by the way, doesn't mean we don't get stressed. I get stressed, massively mm-hmm. stressed, of course. So it's not trying to say stress doesn't exist, but it's mm-hmm. trying to take ownership for the fact that that uh, stress, whilst inevitable, is self-created. Your client can't make you stress. Your client does something. And then your thinking about what your client does makes you stressed, right? So there's a Coke pitch happening and I'm definitely stressed. And I realise that, you know, my thinking around that is what's causing it, not the fact that Coke have actually decided to pitch. I, I, I wasn't aware, I've, I've not come across the three principles before, but I, I agree with you, it's massively powerful. And I can remember a day in my career, and I was probably in my late 20s at the time, when I realised I was having, having such a bad day and I realized that the only person who was really making me miserable was myself. And the power of that was actually huge because once you realize yeah. that, you can decide therefore to be a bit kinder to yourself. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely a brilliant example of it, yeah. yeah. This isn't saying, to be, for people listening, to, I, the way I'm seeing this is, it, this isn't to say that there isn't stressful stimulus, stimuli, whatever it is. Sure. It's more about your reaction and how you choose to react to those things, right? Because we'll all come across difficult situations. It's then how you relate to that and how you And you don't you necessarily have choice either. So even saying how you choose to react to it, I think it's just being conscious that it's you that's doing the reacting. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, you, re- you, we obviously all read about people put them who find themselves in very, very extreme situations, and yet somehow they survive them. You know, somebody gets somebody gets stranded with a broken leg yeah. on the side of a mountain and manages to crawl off. And how, how how do they find the means inside themselves to survive survive them? Uh, today, sadly, is Yom HaShoah, the, the yes. Holocaust Remembrance Day, and there are many many people who survived the Holocaust and 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 talk about the experiences that they have and talk about the moments of 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 happiness they found inside that terrible extraordinary situation how in how is that possible and that that uh, those i think are glimpses into three principles thinking which is to understand that no matter what your circumstances it's possible to to realize that your experience of that situation is framed by your own thinking so you could be in the most extreme situation that you think no one could possibly survive and yet you do because you're you're governed by your own your own thinking about it and therefore it's, it's possible to find a way through it it's possible it's not always easy not easy mark my other half who's a mindfulness coach um, and has been on this podcast he sometimes says that the difference between being terrified about a situation and obviously he's not talking about holocaust surviving he's talking about the the first world that we live in in the world of work but the difference between being you know, intimidated about going into a, a meeting and being excited about going into a meeting is a breath. Mm. It's kind of like, are you are you panic breathing or are you calming breathing? Um, th- th- this 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 
last experience of the last 12 months has been referred to as a corona coaster so it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you I love the roller coaster analogy because I actually hate them so I kind of uh, I, I really get that um what what do you hope to achieve before the end of 2021 given what looks like the unlocking that we're seeing in the roadmap coming and all of the uh challenges that you're facing I guess as well uh, well, um, on uh, obviously looking forward to the opportunity and uh, uh, to be able to go and do things like hug my mum again. Yeah, I'd like to achieve that before the end of this That's year. That's a good target, isn't it? Actually, <laughs> it's a nice achievable target. Uh, my mum lives alone, and she's so she's actually in a way. I think I'm very lucky because we've been able to form a proper bubble. With her, um, my siblings, you know, live elsewhere. So I do still see my mum once a week, but obviously at a, you know, we've been reasonably yeah. careful at a distance. I'd, I'd like to achieve that. Um, but obviously, this year is going to be quite the year on the work front. Um, and so I, I, what I want to be is um, to be able to look back at the end of the year and feel good about what we as the Mediacom family did um, as a as a team um, for Coke and for Mars. Um, uh, and to feel that uh, we turned up and proudly, you know, put up put up our point of view and our opinion and our vision for what we felt would be our future as partners with them. Um, and that we look back on this year and say, yeah, we stand by that. That's what I want. I have to say, Simon, no greater leader that I can imagine for that. So you have our confidence. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> on to our questions. We ask all our guests, Simon, so now we can compare and contrast. So what is your favourite line from a poem, a song or a book? Uh, I thought about this a lot because I, I don't really carry a favourite lines around with me so I'm going to be really um, unhelpful here and I'm not going to give you one because I, I I was trying to sort of think oh I'll go through a few books and I'll pick one but the, I think it's more honest of me to say I'm not a I'm not a line kind of person um, there's a line I carry around with me uh, that, that I talk to people about which is about never look at no if when you're doing something never look at the top of a mountain just keep climbing right the only way you climb a mountain is one step at a time and i thought i'd share that with you because it's genuinely something i i carry around with me every single day to remind myself that the only way we we complete the massive projects we have to do is just doing doing the next thing and the next thing but um the other thing i would say is i i carry i carry tend to carry music around in my head is the truth and so are you going to uh, sing to us <laughs> you don't want that um i think that the say so there's um there's a piece of music as a trumpet concerto hummel trumpet concerto uh that that i think has come up in my life uh since i was um since i was young um I first used it um, to uh, 
to to as the as the the um the way to, oh, we should just stop this hold on a second i don't know whether you whether i should introduce it like this sorry right. Right. um i tend to i tend to be a person that carries music around with me there's a piece of music that i carry around with me which is the hummel trumpet concerto actually played by a guy called winton marcellus who's one of my one of my heroes probably my music hero and um and that's been a sort of uh, a companion to, to me um that i've reached for at, at important moments throughout my life so um when every time i did an exam i played that piece of music before i went into the exam every time i do a pitch I'll play it beforehand and it kind of puts me in the right state of mind. So that's the gift I'd give to everybody. Play the Hummel Trumpet Concerto. I'm sure you can find it on Spotify. We, we've never had anyone refuse to answer that question before, actually. So I don't know how our um, advisory board will take that, but we'll, we'll let it go for now. Um, if, you, if you were a genie, Simon, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Uh, well, so I love this question. Um, Obviously, Winton Marsalis would have to be the first since I've just raised him. Uh, I think the second thing would be uh, wine. I, I, I've been a, an avid wine collector for, for about uh, 15 years. Um, so I think you'd have to put a, a bottle of wine in there. My motorbike, a tri Triumph motorbike, um, which I think people find you know, people are shocked to discover that I'm an avid biker, uh, probably because how someone quite as chubby as me manages to stay upright seems a surprise to people. Um, the, how am I, I've done three, right? Three, yeah. The fourth thing would be a radio. Um, I, um, I listen to the radio all the time, including at night. Um, uh, so which, I, which which stations are you uh, fishing out of? What are your what are your uh, preset buttons? Uh, at night, the World Service, yeah. amazing stuff. And there's a there's the most beautiful, wonderful program on the World Service called Outlook, which tells people's amazing stories. And if you haven't ever looked up Outlook, look it up on podcasts, because it's full of just incredible experiences of of stories. Of, of things that people have been through um it's always wonderful to listen to so the world service radio for um um radio one um, um bbc loyalist to the end probably yes there you go that's, that's four things <laughs> that's I think. Four. and then the last thing would be sunrise sunrise you know, sunrise in i think yeah we allow that? no i can't Sweet put that in a circle in. No. Mm. no, I mean we're allowing Winston Marcellus because we're going to put a CD or or, or a, a something, you know, a download or something of that. But I think you have to it has to be more concrete than. It has to be something that you can actually physically put in there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, um, in that case, um, uh, um, I'd say then a bit of my garden. Right, is that, that is that easily accessible? It is, yeah, isn't it? We've allowed 
we've allowed counties in before so yeah, but, but a county is public land or your your garden if i went yeah, it's in your private when you, got do your... you not like some jaffa cakes or something <laughs> i do obviously love everything chocolatey how about some nice chocolate <laughs> that was galaxy funny. Preferably, preferably, preferably from Mars, of course. Uh, what is your single best skill, Simon? Um, I think it's the fact that um, I'm. I hate talking myself up like this. It makes me really uncomfortable. But I think it's the fact that I'm both. I happen to be good at both mathematics and English, so I'm good analytically and linguistically. And and that seems to be something that's quite unusual. Um, and that I think is what's enabled me. That's what's that's been the secret of my success in work. Is I'm I can I can create and write, but I can also analyse and decode um, and organise incredibly logically. So I think that's my skill is, is yes, as you said, whole brainness. No, it's very, it's very good. And, and you know, I, I do think, you know, whichever side you're on, it's always good to flex the other side. Mm. Um, what would you practice more if you had the time and space? Um, I, um, in a very practical sense, I practice the euphonium. Wow, you have a euphonium. Actually, at the moment, I don't. I'd really like to get one again. But I, I, it, the euphonium is the most beautiful brass instrument yeah. I learned to play. So when I, I grew up playing the violin. And then at a certain point, I wanted to be one of the cool kids. Yeah. That, like, you know, went and smoked and, you know, did all those things at, at this this music, this sort of Saturday morning music school I want, went to, right? And it seemed to me they all played brass instruments. So I went to the music teacher at my the comprehensive school that I was at and said, I'd like to learn a, a brass instrument. I'd like to play the trumpet. And he said, well, we don't have any trumpets, so you can't do that. Um, but he said, we do have one of these things. And he gave me a euphonium. So I said, well, all right, I'll play that. So I started learning to play that. And then I ended up playing in, in bands. And in fact, um, and I had some of the greatest adventures ever. Like um, uh, I went to with with this band that I was into, uh, and we played in a tent at the Oktoberfest. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love this podcast. We just get such interesting insights. <laughs> wow! So uh, playing the euphonium was just one of the most lovely things I did. They cost about like six, seven thousand pounds a piece. But if I had more time and space, I'd go buy a euphonium and I'd start to play it again. Um, they're in every every brass band and they're absolutely the most beautiful, beautiful things. Um, and they're like a combination. They've got sort of partly the register of a trumpet and partly the register of a tuba. Yeah. Um, so they're wonderful. So interesting, Simon. The final question you can prepare for is what fictional world would you live in and why? <clears throat> Um, a world where Spurs actually win something, ASD? <laughs> oh 
that's an excellent answer. I don't know about you. Well, well, I don't have to keep apologising to my son and daughter for the fact that I've gifted them Tottenham Hotspur. Um, uh, honestly, fictional world I would live in um, um, is a world where um, the state of Israel and the Palestinians have a meaningful dialogue with one another. That's the fictional world I'd like to live in. I, I, I think uh, you may know that, but I'm the chair of um, um, of a, a, an NGO called Yachad, which is which means together, um, which uh, raises the voice of the British community in in support of a negotiated settlement between Israelis and Palestinians, and does a lot of work in this country to try and further the, the cause of peace, which is extremely difficult and becoming more difficult by the day. So the, the fiction, fictional world is, you know, I'm sure this is not exactly what you expected, but the fictional world I'd like to live in is that world where that actually looks like it might be possible. So I think it's a world where perhaps people are just more kind to each other. Finally, the questions you cannot prepare for from the oh, school God. of life. Um, I, I'm holding up three cards. <laughs> Do you want uh, A, B or C, Simon? I'll have A. Oh, OK. Can you describe your own taste in interiors and design? Out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, white with a twist is what i think i would say so i i love simplicity my father was an architect oh, interesting. um so I've, I've definitely grown up with a desire for simple simplicity and organization so a lot of um effective function um um but with with a twist i'm slightly colorblind so that can create interesting um outcomes when left to my own devices. When I was younger, my father very, very unwisely once asked me and and my brother, who is also slightly colorblind, to go out and get some replacement carpet. And stupidly, we didn't take a bit of carpet with us. So we came back with what we thought was exactly the right thing. And of course, laughably, it wasn't. And for about, for about I think, five years, we had a patch of carpet in our house that didn't match anything else that stood as a as a as a symbol of the stupidity of doing that. But yes, I, I, I love basically simplicity. So, um, so it's it's sort of white with a splash of colour is how I'd describe it. Brilliant. I love that. Thank you, Simon, for your time. Thank you. I know you're incredibly busy. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate right. it.